Good morning. Glad to be with you this morning. My name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here. And so glad that you have chosen to join us this morning as we study God's Word together. We are in this study on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and my iPad is not doing what I want it to do. And now is it doing what I want it to do? Let's find out. Is it working? What? Junior youth. Oh yeah, hey, if you're in junior high. Thank you. Listen, that was not my fault. On a day, if I was on the stage and I was leading worship, then it would be my fault. But today it's not my fault. It's not my fault and I'm sticking to it and that's the end of the, uh, end of the story. Uh, so glad that you are with us today. And um, we're, gonna, we're, we're diving back into our study in the Gospel of Mark. Pastor Neil led us through uh, one of just the most fantastic stories in the Gospel of Mark last week. Uh, today, we are going to be looking at this, this whole idea of what it actually looks like to live free in the gospel as opposed to in legalism of religion. And it's important that we do that because it's very, very easy for us to fall into that difficulty. Uh, Martin Luther said this, my conscience is held captive by the word of God. I must submit to scripture, not to man-made traditions. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we read the passage together. This is uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Uh, And uh, you can follow along as I read, or you can read in the Bible that is in front of you or on your device, whichever you prefer. This is the word of the Lord. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, that they were unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of their elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Then Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, for their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. As Jesus continued, he said, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their parents as Corban, that is, it's devoted to God, then they no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things that are like this. And Jesus called to the crowd around him and said, listen to me, everyone, understand this. Nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After Jesus had left the crowd and entered back into the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. Are you still so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but it goes into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods to be clean. He went on in saying, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and foolishness. All these things come from inside, and these are what defile a person. Thank you. You can be seated. 
So yeah, we're going to be looking at Mark 7, 1 through 23 this morning, and the title of the message today is How Man Improves God's Law. And if you're looking at the screen, you see that I put that in quotes because we can't improve God's law. That's not our purpose. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. And the big idea is this, that Jesus shows us the true condition of our human hearts. That's what we're going to be focusing on today, and we're going to go through that uh, as, as we go. So here we go. Verse 1. So the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, they gathered around Jesus and saw that some, not all, some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean or they were unwashed. Now, to get some context here, the, the stuff that Jesus has been doing is now pretty public. It's not just in the region of Capernaum and Galilee. The things that he's been doing and the kind of upsetting nature of his ministry to the Pharisees and teachers of the law has gone all the way south, 90 miles away from where they were to the people in Jerusalem. And so the Pharisees, the teachers of the law from Jerusalem are going, oh, what, what is this that we're hearing about this teacher who's saying that what we're supposed to be doing isn't, isn't what we're supposed to be doing? And how come he's doing things on the Sabbath that he's not supposed to? We better go and figure this out for ourselves. So they made quite the trek to go and find out what is it that this Jesus is actually teaching. And while they were there, they saw some of Jesus' disciples doing what was not customary. He was, they, they were engaging in, in, uh, in eating their meal without going through the, the proper ritual washings. Now the words unclean and unwashed are significant because unclean is a ceremonial word, unwashed is a hygiene word, okay? So the, the unclean nature of it was you haven't gone through the particular spiritual or, or temple proper rituals that we have passed down from our traditions to your people and the question is how come they're not doing it? That's what we instruct our teachers, our, our students to do. That's what our rabbis are teaching our, our, our Jewish students to pay attention to, is that they need to follow after these different, uh, these different rituals, these different forms of participation in Jewish culture. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, who's a, a commentator, says, the ritual had nothing to do with hygiene. It was purely ceremonial to, and this is the key, to get rid of whatever defilement the Jews accidentally picked up from engagement with Gentiles and Samaritans in the marketplace. So kind of picture this as the idea. Uh, a good Jewish boy is in the marketplace and he accidentally picks up a cup that was held previously and drunk out of by a Gentile. Well now he, according to the tradition, he is, he is unclean and is unable to go and participate in temple worship. He needs to go through the rites. And, and so in order for that not to take place, what the Jews and their Pharisees were teaching them is, we're going to eliminate this altogether. And so anytime that you do anything, you need to go through these ceremonial washings. So that you can ensure that you are in right standing with God. So you can ensure that you are doing the right things. Then verses 3 and 4 says, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat, and notice this, there's some parentheses here, unless they give their hands the ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And we're going to talk about this a lot. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. Now, the reason that this is in parentheses is because sometimes what the Bible's writers will do is they'll, they'll kind of insert context into the story where it helps people to understand. It's not that this wasn't original to the text. It's that Mark and Peter, as they're trying to help people understand, writing to primarily to a Gentile audience, they're trying to help them understand, this is what the Jews do, guys. So what Jesus is going to teach us about how we're supposed to have hearts that are for him, th this little background context is really significant. So you can imagine yourself as a Gentile person not understanding Jewish culture. Like a, as a Canadian, I don't understand South Korean culture. 
As, as, a, as a Canadian, I don't understand uh, Nigerian culture the way that I would like to. Like, you, you kind of understand the predicament that they're in, right? So Mark adds this in here to help us understand what we're supposed to see. So the Pharisees, verse 5, and the teachers of the law, they then go and ask Jesus, how come you're a bad teacher? Well, it's not what it says, but that's what they're implying. They're saying, how come your students don't live to our traditions? My students live to our traditions. The Pharisees are very proper and they're in their place and they're trying to help people understand this. You're allowing them to do something that is against the tradition of the elders. Instead, they're eating with unwashed or ceremonially unclean hands. And so what this elders tradition is, it's called the oral tradition. It was a secondary set of uh, kind of laws, but not really, that the Jews and the Pharisees were teaching that was handed down from their elders saying, this is how we are going to enact being Jewish. This is how we're going to go about performing the rites and rituals. And sometimes these things were in place for good reasons. And sometimes these things actually took precedent over God's word and over God's law. And this is what Jesus is being accused of. He's saying, you're not holding to the tradition of the elders. You're not doing what we think is appropriate. You're not, you're not holding to what the law says, which is not appropriate. R.C. Sproul says, there are principles for ritual cleanliness set forth by God in the Old Testament. That's true. But they are few and easy to follow. For instance, the Old Testament law required that priests of Israel to wash their hands before they entered into the holy places, before they offered sacrifices. You can kind of understand the purpose for that. God wants clean hands and a pure heart coming into his presence. However, there was no law that required ordinary people to go through a ritual cleansing before they had their daily meal, before they ate bread. So you can see the dichotomy, right? There's, we expect this. The law says this, but we expect this other thing. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm not going to require my students to do that. And so we get Jesus' reply. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. That's a hard word to use. As it is written, notice this. As it is written. Where does Jesus take them back to? They're talking about the oral tradition. Where does Jesus point them? The scriptures. The, the very thing that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were supposed to be upholding, right? And he goes to Isaiah, like their big prophet. And he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain because their teachings are but rules taught by men. They're disregarding what God has taught them. They're misunderstanding the, the spirit and the importance of the law. Now for the Jews, we have to understand something. These Pharisees were doing this out of a heart and a desire to follow God as best as they could. They're not trying to necessarily hold people down and, and put more and more and more stuff on them. It was, they were so afraid of not being Jewish and possibly having the particulars of maybe they'll end up in exile again because they had kings before who, who didn't follow God's laws. And then because of that, they got into trouble and then they went into exile. And there's this whole big period of time where they were away from the promised land. It was, it was terrible. And so they're in some ways trying to protect the people from the possibility of maybe doing something that God doesn't want them to do. Or even worse, it could be this, that they're actually assuming that their tradition is above and superior to God's word. That's where we get into big problems, right? So this is what Isaiah actually said. These people come near me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And we, when we read the passage earlier on, Jesus talked about the things that come out of our hearts. This is the key to the passage. Their worship of me is only made up by rules taught by men. And then Jesus says this, you, talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you have let go of the commands of God. Ouch. This digs right in at who they are. And you're holding on instead to the traditions of men. 
He said to them, you guys have a fine way of setting aside God's commands in order to observe your own traditions. Then he does this, which is very interesting. Remember how I said he uses Isaiah? He points them back to the scriptures. Now he's going to point them back to the law. He says, because Moses said, and who was Moses? The guy who gave Israel what? The law. Yeah. Gave them the Ten Commandments and the 603 other laws that they were supposed to follow. And he, and he points it back to something fundamental. One of the big ten, right? One of the Ten Commandments. Honor mom and dad, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say, look at the comparison and contrast here. The law says, but now you're saying, that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, we're going to talk about that. That is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. Basically saying this. You're using a part of the law that's specific for a specific reason and putting onto your, the Jewish people and saying that you can't fulfill this part of the law because you're keeping this part of the law. See how that kind of starts to cause problems? Now, what's interesting is Jesus does this a lot. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. He does it in the Sermon on the Mount a number of times in Matthew 5 through 7. He also says stuff like, you've heard it taught, but it is written. Trying to direct people's attention back to what God has actually said. And that's exactly what he's doing here. So what is Jesus getting at? He's getting at the fact that these people are rejecting part of God's law in order to hold to another part of God's law. And they're misunderstanding what the law is there for. So Korban, what is that? A Korban comes from Leviticus 27, 28, where God instructs his people that funds that are dedicated to God's work or to temple use or to whatever God was going to use it for, that's, that's a gift offering from a person saying, I'm setting this aside, it's only for God's purposes. Okay? And then what the, what the issue is, is that the Pharisees are going, so you have this money set aside, but mom and dad are destitute and they can't work anymore. They're kind of becoming, they're, they're, they're aging and it's your responsibility to take care of them, but you set this aside, you can't, you can't protect mom and dad anymore. That's for us. That's for God's purposes. See how gross that is? Because what's the command that Jesus lays out from the law? Honor mom and dad. And if you don't, it's an issue worthy of death. So that comes into conflict with this other thing. And what Jesus is saying is, you've put a tradition on top of what is law in order to prevent people from actually doing the law. And that's where Jesus has a big problem with it. See, what the Pharisees were doing was to use the law in some sort of kind of modified way in some respects to, to keep people in line, to ensure that they were remaining Jewish both culturally and religiously. That that this, this whole idea, is what Jesus is saying is your, your traditions of the elders, of the rabbis, of the Pharisees, you're trying to uphold God's law by throwing out God's law. And then Jesus says something distinctive. He's saying, you don't allow them to take care of their parents, which is actually core to the law. Thus, you nullify God's law. You're basically saying, well, if we're going to do that, we're, we're going to throw the whole thing out because this, this word nullify, we, we know what it means, right? It means to make nothing. It's this issue of saying that the, the word of God, the, the law of God is now invalidated by what you're choosing to do. And then he says this. It's, it's not just this example, guys. And you do many things like this. You keep on doing things like this. You, you're pitting your traditions over God's word, invalidating what God has already said, assuming that your traditions actually keep God's law in check. And so you can see why Jesus would be upset with this. And why they would be upset with Jesus. Here's something interesting to note. 
Jesus never actually attacks God's law or says something about God's law that makes it invalidated. Jesus only ever upholds God's law. Sproul says, never in the New Testament do we find the Lord Jesus criticizing or disobeying the written law of God. That's why he says, you've heard it said, but it is written. But it seems as if every day, and this is kind of funny, everywhere Jesus went, he on purpose violated the oral tradition. And it kind of makes sense, right? Like, what was he doing? He was healing people on the Sabbath. His disciples were picking grain off the side of the road. He was healing people. He was doing things. He was teaching things that were outside of their traditions, outside of their, their kind of natural tendencies to believe what it meant to be Jewish. And Jesus was saying, no, you actually need to follow God. And so I'm going to attack this thing that's hindering and binding people to something that isn't actually God's law, that's not actually God's word. So again, Jesus called the crowd to himself and he said, now everybody listen to me. Understand this. Like, put your thinking caps on, put your listening ears on, right? This is the key. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, instead, it's this. It's what comes out of the man that makes him unclean. So now Jesus is directing his attention away from this little kind of side conversation he's having with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And he's speaking to the crowds while kind of out of the side of his mouth speaking to the Pharisees, saying, listen to this, guys, and understand what they're telling you about something coming into you doesn't make you unclean. It's the thing that comes out of you. It's the stuff that's in your heart that comes forward that shows what's unclean. And this is a significant teaching. The, the Jews had held under the teachings of their rulers and elders for such a long time that anything that they come in contact with that a Samaritan or a Gentile had touched or anytime they didn't, they didn't follow exactly the way that the law was written out in their own interpretation that they were somehow now apart from God, that their relationship with God had now been ruined. Jesus is now reorienting the law around what it was designed to do. Help them understand that the law was there to point them to the God who gave them the law. So it's really a condition statement. It's not just a behavior statement. Jesus is reorienting the implications of the law about sin, not just as behavior, but as condition. Do you see the difference? See, it's the issue of the heart is what Jesus is getting at. What's, what's the motivation? What are you being driven by to keep yourself clean? Are you trying to keep yourself clean on the outside so you can look presentable? You could remain holy? Or is it the fact that you want yourself to be purified from the inside out? You want God to do his work of good in you from your heart. Then we get to this, verse 16. And that's not a mistake. So this is, this is one of the kind of interesting portions of the Bible where people get kind of hung up. Uh, in some translations, verse 16 will be there. And it says, if anyone has ears, let him hear. Now, Jesus makes this statement a lot of times inside of the New Testament. After some teaching, he'll say, this is a difficult teaching. People don't necessarily understand it. So anybody who's got ears to hear, let them hear. Because it's going to make sense to some, and it's not going to make sense to others. Mark, in some of the original manuscripts or the ancient manuscripts that we have, it's included right after that statement that these are the things that you do and you negate what mom and dad are supposed, how you're supposed to take care of mom and dad. And then it says, so if anybody has ears to hear, let them hear. Others don't have it. So what are we supposed to do? Depending on the English translation, you will either have it in there or you won't. Does this, the question that comes up is, does this now invalidate the Bible? Well, no, because the, the, this doesn't change the teaching at all, right? This, it still remains the fact that Jesus regularly said this phrase. 
If anybody has ears to hear, let them hear. But it doesn't change the teaching if it doesn't come following the rest of the text, right? So hilariously, this has been used by Bible scholars to suggest the Bible is invalid and we can't trust it because there's, there's um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words that don't show up in some translations of Mark. And so the whole thing, we have to throw it out because it can't be trusted. Well, no, because what Jesus is getting at is this. Are you following the traditions or are you following God? And so after Jesus left the crowd, he entered the house that they were staying. And look at this, I love this. His disciples asked him about this said, okay, Jesus, um, we don't get it. And Jesus goes, okay. Like this, but you kind of have to put yourself in the perspective of the disciples, right? Their whole lives, they've been told, you have to do these things. You have to do this. 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 You have to do it in this way. If you don't do it in this way, it's going to be a problem. And Jesus says, guys, are, are, are you still so dull? You, and it, it seems like he's kind of accosting them, but he's not. It's like, it's the same kind of phraseology as, oh, you have little faith. He's saying, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside makes him unclean? For it doesn't go where? His heart. But it goes into his stomach and then out of his body. And then we have another one of these interesting parentheses things where Mark and Peter, again, they insert this afterwards trying to help us understand what Jesus was doing in this. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods to be clean. So here's what he's saying. The stuff going into your body goes into your stomach. It doesn't go to your heart, Right? Well, you can do like the whole weird science thing about it and say, well, if you eat really terrible and then cholesterol's gonna be bad and your heart's gonna be bad and you have that. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking from a spiritual sense. If you eat this or you eat this, it doesn't go into your heart and cause the problem that your heart's got an issue. It's a stomach problem. Why, why are you focusing on the wrong thing? He's saying, are you, are you not comprehending this? And then graciously he explains it. It's, it's what comes out of your heart. It's an issue of condition, not behavior. And here's where we get locked in, guys. Sin is not just an act that we do. Before we are united to Christ, it's actually a condition of who we are. When people say things like, well, nobody's perfect, or I'm a good person, they're thinking purely from sin as a behavioral standpoint. Like, I don't do these things. I don't do these things, so I'm not that bad. Or I'm pretty good because I have never done X, whatever that looks like. Defilement of ourselves is not only in what we produce from our hearts. Apart from Christ, it's by very nature who we are. Sproul says it this way, we blithely say to err as human to forgive as divine and nobody's perfect. When we say such things, we're demonstrating that we see sin as something on the edge. It, it's from outside of me, right? It's, it's something tangential. It's peripheral to my existence. But Jesus said, no defilement comes from the very core of your being. This is the problem. It comes from in here. So what the Jews are trying to do with their tradition of the elders is to make them outside clean and looking religious and looking pure and looking good. And Jesus says, the problem isn't what you're trying to do on the outside. The problem is the thing that you've got going on inside. Then he went on saying, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. Okay, he said it like four times now. Did you get the point? This is the whole core of the text. One of my Bible college professors, I can't remember who said it, but it stuck with me for years says the root of the heart will be seen in the fruit of our lives. The root of our heart will be seen in the fruit of our lives. What does that mean? The stuff that's truly in here is going to show itself in your hands. The stuff that is going on at the core of who we are when nobody's watching, when we are alone by ourselves, when we're thinking about the things that we're thinking about by ourselves, that's the stuff that's going to eventually come out of us. So it's the, the root is the problem. It's not the... It's, it's not like the little cage around the tree that's the problem. It's, does, are the roots terrible? 
We have to figure that out. And then Jesus says, because it's from within, and then he lists these 13 things. Out of a man's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these things come from inside, and this is what makes a person unclean. This is the stuff, when it comes out of us, that's how we show if we're clean or not. So look at what Jesus says the problem is. It's the heart. It's what comes out of us. Now, what's important to understand is this is not an exhaustive list. Jesus lists 13 things here, and he lists these 13 things to kind of blanket sin as an issue, right? So if, if you're like, well, I struggle with this, and Jesus didn't say anything about that there, so therefore I'm okay. No, it's, it kind of blankets all these things. And so he's saying, the core of our human hearts, apart from God, is we're going to do things that are wrong and, and, and hurtful and are not for our benefit. See, all of these things in our natural sinful condition, this is what kind of flows from us, right? So as a Christian, as somebody who's following Jesus, we need to flip these things on its head. We need to be like Jesus. Instead of having evil thoughts, we need to have right thinking. Instead of sexual immorality, we need to be pure. Instead of theft or greed or envy, we need to have generosity. Instead of murder, we need to be, uh, be people who preserve life. In, instead, of, uh, instead of adultery, we need to be people of fidelity. Instead of malice and slander, we need to be people of encouragement. Instead of deceit, we need to be people of honesty. Instead of, uh, instead of arrogance and folly, we need to be people of wisdom and humility. This lewdness thing is tied in with the, the sexual immorality. All these things come from inside, and this is what makes a man unclean. So what are we supposed to do? Like, Jesus has just laid this out. Here's the problem, guys. What they're talking about is the outside. It's like putting on a good suit, but then realizing that your underwear is dirty. It doesn't really work. There's something very significant about this idea of Jesus attacking the tradition of the elders, right? Because he's not attacking the law. He's upholding the law, saying what the law actually says. He's calling the people that are listening to him to honor God's law and to realize that it's for their good and for their flourishing. Martin Luther says it this way. These leaders, uh, this is in his, uh, his commentary on the Gospel of Mark from 15-something. These leaders resented it when our Lord openly flaunted their authority. And it, honestly, how could they not? After all, these practices had been handed down from their fathers and carried out with them the authority of the ages, the tradition. The Jews called this tradition the fence of the law. It was not the law that protected the tradition, but the tradition they had put in place that would protect God's law. See the problem? It should be the other way around, right? Like if God is going to have a law, then we should hold traditionally to that law. Not the other way around. Setting up traditions that somehow hold God's law in check, thinking like, oh, it's not good enough. We need to, we need to put another set of restrictions around because if we do that, then people can remain the way that they're supposed to remain. They can look from the outside like they're doing exactly what God requires them to do, right? Does that seem like the complete opposite of the point? It should. So what are we supposed to do? Our young adults will have seen this before. Uh, and I've actually, I think I've used this before in, in a sermon here. I call this God's fence or, or God's yard. It's on your notes. Um, it's, it's empty on purpose, okay? So, uh, oh, I didn't even notice this. Ben put a little, little guy just hanging out. So I'll use me. That's me, all right? 
I look great. I'm very thin. Um, And the house is your life. And God's fence is what God has designed for human good and flourishing. These are the boundaries of which God has laid out how humans best function. All right? So this includes the Ten Commandments. This includes uh, moral living. This includes the things that God has laid out in Scripture as direct commands to people. If you live this way, it's for your good and for your benefit. Does that make sense? You tracking with me there? So this is good. The white line of what God has orchestrated around us is good. You have the freedom to come inside and out of it. You absolutely do. But there's consequences when you go outside, right? When you jump the fence, the fences are there to protect what's inside the fence, right? And to keep things that are bad from coming into the yard. That's, that's the whole point. Here's what the Pharisees were doing. They were saying, yeah, we know that this is what God has said, but we're actually going to make our own fence. We're going to put an additional boundary inside of what God has already said is for our good and for our flourishing. So if that's the case, then, well, when God makes a command about something like how we go to eat bread on a daily basis, if that can't possibly be what God actually requires. There's, there's too much freedom in that. So instead of that, we need to make sure we box everybody into what we've decided is God's best interpretation. Anybody see a problem with this? This is what we call legalism, right? That somebody holds a particular view or has a particular preference around something that God is not specifically clear about and says, well, this has to be binding for all Christians for all time because I have a personal conviction about it. Therefore, I need to impose that on everybody else even though God isn't clear and there's still a lot of room to play inside of God's yard. That's one thing that we do. And like you can just, we could list the number of ways that we do that, right? Like uh, I, I remember when I was a, a teenager growing up, uh, this wasn't my church, but it was, it was kind of this, this thing. Like Baptists don't go to the movies. It's like, first of all, ask a first century Jew what a movie is and they'll look at you like you've you got four heads. Uh, but also like, wh- what's, what's the problem with it? Are we, are we creating a legalistic system that says to look right, to operate the way that I expect us to operate or my conviction says this, then, then you can't do that. No, if you have a personal conviction, that's fine. You can, you can limit your freedom, but you don't limit everybody else's. Here's the opposite part of this problem. Here's what we do a lot, generally more abruptly or more out there. We do this. We go, no, do you know what? God's laws aren't good enough. Oh, they're outdated. We've evolved. We're smarter than God. Oh, that can't be possibly what he meant because we live in a society now where this, 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 whatever that looks like. The easy one to pick at is the human sexuality thing, right? God says, this is the design for human sexuality and our society goes, that's outdated. Therefore, we need to push the boundaries out further in order for it to be more palatable. We need to assume that God was either incorrect or didn't give us all the information because we've decided that what God has said is too restricting. Therefore, we need more freedom, but we still want to call it Christian. We want more liberty, but we still want to call it following Jesus. What did Jesus routinely do with the law and the Pharisees? He pointed them to this. He pointed them to what God had already set as the boundaries. He didn't reinterpret anything. He didn't say, you have heard it said, now I'm going to say this is my view on the law. He said, no, this is God's view on the law. This is how we ought to act. 
So you got the two different issues, right? You have one side of things where people are restricting everybody's freedoms in the, in the name of their own preference and calling it Christianity and saying, if you don't hold to what I view as the right thing and the best thing and the proper thing, then you, can't, you and I can't possibly be family. Let, let me just ask you this. You ever been to a family dinner with your extended relatives? Does everybody agree on everything? Can we still be family? Come on, guys. But this is the problem. When we restrict what God has already said, we're actually missing out on the good gifts that God has given us for our flourishing and joy. Who wants to do that? This, this whole idea is just garbage. If we impose it on everybody. Now, if, uh, I know people who have, have significant issues with addiction in their family. Is it wise for us to say, no, alcohol is not a problem for everybody? Well, it might be for somebody. And we should allow them that freedom to restrict themselves, but we can't impose that on everybody else. Now, as Christians, we should lovingly walk with our brother and make sure that we don't lead them into temptation. We don't lead them into sin. But the other thing that we can't do is we can't push against God's fence saying, it's too restrictive. There's not enough freedom. God doesn't want what's best for me. He's holding out on me and I'm going to do whatever I want. and He's going to love me anyway. Well, is that what he says he's going to do? See, the problem that we get into in our society in this day and age is that we think that God's law isn't timeless. We've decided because we're North American and we live in 2023 that we're somehow smarter than the people who wrote the Bible. Can I just lovingly say we're not? Like not even close to not. But so when we push against what God has designed, we're saying God's plan is wrong and we know better than God does. So my question, I think the natural question is, what God are we then worshiping? Who are we actually following? Because if it's just subjective and what God requires of humanity for our, remember, for our good and benefit is arbitrary, then nobody can actually hold anybody accountable to anything. Seems problematic to me. So here's what we can do. On your notes below that, you've got a couple fill in the blanks. And because this is like a, a whole sermon about do's and don'ts, right? I used do's and don'ts and kind of threw them on their head because I thought it'd be fun. Mostly I do things to entertain myself and if you find it funny, then that's great. Here's what we should do. First thing is this. Do a regular heart check. Do a regular heart check. What did Jesus say at the end of that passage? It's out of the heart that flows these 13 things that lead to your destruction right? So if you're, if you're engaging with yourself and you're trying to follow Jesus and you're trying to walk with him faithfully, if out of your heart is coming those things that, are, that he says are bad, then you got to do the heart check. Am, am I actually, is what's coming out of me the stuff that God says is for my good and for my benefit and for my flourishing? Or is the stuff that's coming out of me the stuff that Jesus just said is really bad and is going to hurt me? But while we do that, we don't buy into religious performance. Here's what I mean by that. Do the regular heart check, but then think, when I'm, when I'm doing really, really well, like when I'm, when I'm on the top of my game, when I'm following Jesus really closely and I look like I'm, I'm the super Christian, we don't actually think that that's the thing that saves us because it just shows that our, our sin isn't outside of us, coming outside of us, it's the thing that's still in there. Like that pride thing, you know, that all of us have. Like, I'm actually really good right now, God, so thank you for making me not like those other people. Oh, does that sting a little bit? So do a regular heart check, 
But don't buy into religious performance. It doesn't get you anywhere. That's what the Pharisees were trying to do. Here's the second thing. Do battle legalism, but can we do it with grace and truth, please? If somebody has a particular preference, a particular area where they want to restrict their own freedoms, don't, don't badger them about it. But let's fight against things that say, well, if you do this, you can't be a Christian. If you do this, you can't follow Jesus. If you've done this, then whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't clean ourselves up to come to Jesus. We come to Jesus so that he can clean us up. That's the gospel, right? We're not coming to Jesus saying, I figured it out, I'm perfect now, because then why did he die on the cross? No, no, no. We come to Jesus because we're a mess with our legalisms and everything, and Jesus engages us with grace and truth. He doesn't shirk on the truth though, right? And that's the second part. We don't apologize for God's commands. Oh, but in 2023, it's so much easier if we just leave stuff out. We can make the gospel so much more palatable if we don't actually call anybody to righteousness. Being a Christian is super easy if we don't tell anybody that they have to live a holy life. No, what God has said, he said, for what purpose again? For our good and flourishing. He's put a fence around how we live in order that we can live a flourishing and good life for our protection. So to, to not share the fact that God has put restrictions in place for our good and benefit is actually the unloving thing to do. So we can't apologize for what God has said. Do a regular heart check. Don't buy religious performance. That's legalism. It's not going to go anywhere. That's, that's shirking the responsibility and bringing in more of those restrictions. Battle legalism with grace and truth. Battle legalism with grace and truth. And then don't apologize for God's commands. We don't get to set the boundaries of God's yard for us. That's not our authority. We don't get that right. But when we properly understand that what God has given us is for our good Oh, the joy that flows from that. When we do the things that God lays out for us, it might cost us something, but I guarantee you it's worth losing. If we say, God, this is what you said, and I'm willing to follow it, even though I might not like it right now, because I trust your heart, I trust that what you've designed for me is for my good, then we can follow Jesus like this. Oh man, that's what I, that's what I long for us that we'd be so connected to Jesus and his heart for us that we would live in the joy of what he's given and not think that he's holding out on us and not telling him that it's, what he's laid out for us isn't good enough. No, it is good enough and it leads to our life and flourishing. Let's pray. And so Father, I would just simply ask that you would help us to see those areas in our own hearts in our own lives where we're either trying to condense the freedoms that you've given us and sometimes maybe rightly for our own benefit, for our own safety, but you'd show us where we're trying to hold that on other people. And I think, God, the easiest way that we can see this is when we try and push against the fence that you've already designed for us, that you've already shown us is for our good and for our flourishing. Would you help us, God, to live in the freedom of all that open space in that yard? And to know that if you've, put a, if you've put a boundary, if you've put, a, if you've put something in our place to stop us from going further, to help us trust you that it is for our good. 
Father, we also know that we need Jesus to fix our hearts because it's out of our hearts that flow all these things. So help us, help us to do that regular heart check. Spend time with you, to be alone with you, to hear from your word and hear from your heart how we need to live in order to best reflect the life-giving, loving, gracious, joyous message of the gospel from Jesus. Thank you, God, for the ways that you are doing this in our world, in our church, in our people. And my simple plea is that you would allow this to happen all the more. Pray in Christ's name for his glory. Amen.